We're in, actually, we're in Psalm 51. It's the prayer that David prayed after Nathan approached him with his sin. So for the past few Sundays, we've been focusing on the low point in David's life. His sin with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. This morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 51, where David confesses his sin to the Lord. We've got a Bible if you need one. Thanks, Tom. David was the king, but his sins of adultery and murder have brought disgrace to God and to the throne. God warned Israel this sort of thing could happen. And he warned them way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 where we find the people of Israel demanding a king. They cry out to the prophet in verse 5 of 1 Samuel saying, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And the Lord finally tells Samuel, Now therefore heed their voice, however... You shall solemnly warn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel begins his warning in verse 11 of that chapter. And Samuel said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. And he starts his sentence with, he will take. And then from verse 11 on through verse 17, Samuel tells the people six different ways that a king takes from the people. It's his prerogative to take. That's the behavior of a king. That's what they do. It's their right. Taking what they need to rule the nation, and unfortunately, many times, taking what they want. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. I read this because I believe that this kingly attitude and arrogance was a mindset that David as king had to fight day after day. A daily battle with his old nature, with his sin nature, struggling to remain humble, to remain a servant of God, and of the people as well. David was the king, the monarch. He was the head honcho. Just as it was true of the nations surrounding Israel, it was David's secular and political right as king to take whatever pleased him. The king can do no wrong. He is above reproach. No one points the finger at the king. And actually, both incidents here, the adultery with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah, they would be considered business as usual, as usual down in Egypt or in Babylon or in Moab or Edom and the other nations. What David has done was common practice for the king. So what made David different? Why do we expect more or different in David's life? 
You see, it was always David's spiritual relationship with the Lord that guided his values and his appetites, good and bad. Isn't that also true of you and I? What makes us different, different as children of God? It's only when we're walking close to the Lord that we allow him to direct our behavior from the throne of our life. You see, David learned the hard way with Bathsheba that we are always in a battlefield. We're always in a spiritual battlefield, even when we're kicking back, relaxing on the rooftop patio of the palace. You see, in my weakest times, there's a king called self sitting on the throne of my life, controlling my interests, desires, and my attitudes. From the throne of our own life, just like David, we will be tempted to act as king, to be the ruler and the head honcho of our life. When temptation knocks, this is when I'm the weakest. The devil, he's wanting to take everything, whatever it is that you struggle with, and he wants to use it against you. It might be the sin that you still battle with, or maybe scars from the past, or a temper you're trying to control, or even the desires of your flesh. Whatever it is, the devil will find a way to use it against you. His desire is to hinder or break our fellowship with our Heavenly Father, just as we've been learning in David's life. But our God is the God of the second chance. With Christ directing my life, God's Spirit is helping me to admit my sin and to open my heart in repentance and confess my sin to the Lord, restoring my fellowship with the Lord and others in my life. No one points the finger at the king, but Nathan did. And the very interesting thing is that David listened and he confessed. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. It says at the beginning of that psalm, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This psalm is written just after David responded to Nathan's direct and forceful indictment in 2 Samuel 1, or 13. You are the man. Last week, Pastor Jared outlined for us the essential elements of repentance. In this chapter, Psalm 51, I believe we will discover the essential elements of confession, David's confession, and God's forgiveness. Forgiveness that only God can give. It's available to each and every one of us when we come to the Lord in humble, honest repentance and confess our sin to him. No matter the severity or the ugliness of the sin that might be in your life. 
open your Bibles or read with me. I have it on the screen. And let's read the chapter together before we study it. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless, blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice." Hide your face from my sins, O Lord, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God, they're a whole, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls. On your altar. This is David's prayer. So let's go back and look at Psalm, verse this Psalm, verse by verse, to discover these elements of David's confession and God's forgiveness. I've listed them on the back of your bulletin with some uh, blanks to fill in. Now, Dr. Walvoord, he summarizes the message written here for us. Here's what he says. The message of this psalm is that the vilest offender among God's people can appeal to God for forgiveness, for moral restoration, and for the renewal of a joyful life of fellowship and service if, if he comes with a broken heart, a broken spirit, and bases his appeal on God's compassion and grace. David is crying out to the Lord for mercy. Mercy, what is that? Well, mercy is not getting what you deserve, while justice is getting what you do deserve. You've got it coming. That's justice. David pours out his heart to God. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. 
Now we find the first essential element of confession and forgiveness when David recognizes God is the source of forgiveness. And I can add to this, forgiveness, total, complete, unmitigated forgiveness. You need only open your heart to the Lord. David was a man after God's heart, not because he was sinless, but because his heart was always open to the Lord. His heart was pliable. God could work with with David. God could work with David when David was wrong. So David cries out in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. God's mercy is always based on who he is, his loving kindness, his tender mercies. David's cry for forgiveness is casting himself upon the mercy of God. God's attributes of unfailing love for his servants and his compassion for the helpless, these are the basis of David's appeal for mercy. The plea to have mercy was a prayer that God is to act in accord with his nature. David is recognizing that he did not deserve forgiveness. God's forgiveness is only by God's grace alone. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Number two, forgiveness always includes cleansing. Now we're going to look at verse 2 and then go up to verse 7 and look at it as well. God's forgiveness always includes cleansing, complete cleansing. The word for cleanse is drawn from the ceremonial law when a person is purified for temple participation. In other words, for worship and for service. People today, they they want to rationalize their mistakes rather than admit their sin. David didn't minimize its effect on his life. We find this in another of David's psalms, in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, the New Living Translation. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. The Lord was causing this dismay and trepidation. The guilt and remorse experienced by David was God's continued pursuit of David. The self-reproach of a spirit-touched conscience eventually produces a contrite, repentant heart. I like what Pastor Lee said two weeks ago. David had stopped pursuing God's heart. But that doesn't mean God stopped pursuing David. Even Nathan's pointing finger was the Lord pursuing David. Even with his guilty conscience, David didn't make the first step. You see, God made the first step. He sent Nathan. 
It is the Lord's merciful pursuit that brings us to repentance and confession in our sin. The cleansing continues in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now the hyssop is a common sturdy plant in the Middle East and it was used as a primitive paintbrush. It was used when the Israelites painted their door with the blood of the Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, we hear Moses, he called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs of your, for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and you shall apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and on the two doors doorposts, and none of you go outside the entrance of his house until morning. So the blood of this sacrificial lamb, when applied to the front door, was the sign to the pass to the death angel to pass over that house. That night, all other houses in Egypt mourned the loss of their firstborn male child. Hyssop was used for the purification um, ceremonies outlined in the book of Leviticus. In fact, every time hyssop is used in Scripture, there's blood that's involved. So let's read verse 7 again and find the third point of the message this morning. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Number three. David recognized God's provision for forgiveness. It's the blood of the Lamb. David's prayers to be cleansed or purged with hyssop, that's a cry for the cleaning that comes from the sacrificial blood. It's a prayer that we can make because we need to be made clean and whole. There's a total and complete cleansing with God's forgiveness. The Lord tells us through Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You see, David is giving a word picture to the Jewish reader about the source of forgiveness. The hyssop implies that we need to be washed, not with soap and water, but with the precious blood of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote about this to the Ephesians. He said this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We also know from Scripture that God wants, us to, wants to cleanse us. All we need to do is confess and repent. And thanks to Jesus, we have the perfect sacrificial blood that cleanses us from sin. In 1 John 1, verse 7, we're reminded, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. In other words, we're not hiding our sin, but we're confessing it. We're bringing it out to the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Then Revelation 1.5 says of Jesus, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. David knew he needed atonement through blood, and so do we. The blood of Jesus that was shed for you and me, it enables us to boldly claim God's forgiveness. A clean and purified heart that David was pleading for. Well, let's go back now to verse 3 for our fourth point. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You see, David was glad that he'd been found out. His guilty conscience had tormented him day and night. The guilt was like a a burr in his saddle or a pebble in his shoe. Rather than sweep it under the carpet, David is asking God to vacuum it away and then shampoo the rug. Now the masquerade is over. Number four, forgiveness requires that I acknowledge my sin. With this, we'll look at verse three and then go down to verse six. Sin weighs on the heart of a child of God. Every person who has, every person has two choices when they sin. They can either confess or conceal. Confess and God will forgive. Conceal and God in his perfect timing will reveal. David was trying to hide his sin, but you can't hide it from yourself if you are truly a child of God. David is acknowledging his transgressions. This is the road back to fellowship with the Lord. In fact, in in 1 John, John tells us, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he that's the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness comes when I confess my sin. Now God can deal with it. One of my favorite Bible teachers says this, God does not forgive us because we feel sorry or because we pray. He forgives us when we confess our sins because he is faithful and just, faithful to his promise, and just because of the cross. God will not make us pay for sins that Christ has already paid for. David also recognizes his sin down in verse 6. Behold, Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Sin just isn't a mistake I made or a failure to make a passing grade. Sin comes from my deepest inward being, my deepest thoughts and desires and attitudes. It reveals a part of me that will always need the Lord. You rid yourself of guilt and shame, not by denying sin, or, as some people do, redefining sin or excusing sin, but by confessing. When I I acknowledge my sin, confess my sin to the Lord, not seek to justify it or hide it, that's when God can forgive it. Now in verse 4, for our fifth point, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. 
Some people have said, well, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Well, David recognizes the spiritual impact of his sin. You see, sin is against the holy law of God, the very holy nature of God. David lost sight as he looked at and lusted after Bathsheba as she was bathing on her rooftop. He lost sight that the Lord was watching him. And I can't say it strong enough. David's sin it defiled and abused and wronged Uriah and Bathsheba. But it was a sin against our holy God. David thought he had covered his tracks with Uriah's death. But when the prophet Nathan looked him in the eye and said, you are that man, David was brought to the realization that he had hidden nothing from the Lord. In verse 4, David is speaking of the eternal spiritual impact of his sin. He's finally stepped, he finally stopped comparing his actions to the secular, secular non-spiritual rights given to the kings and monarchs of the surrounding nations. David is finally seeing his behavior with Bathsheba through God's eyes, God's values, through God's judgment. He finishes verse 4 with that thought, that you, God, may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David had sinned against God. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is number six on our, on our list. David recognized his unworthiness due to the very nature of sin. David recognized that his heart was sinful from the moment he was conceived. We're sinners from the start. It's not just that we slip up on occasion and miss the mark. Our aim is warped. None of us shoot straight. You see, sinning doesn't make me a sinner. The Bible says, I sin because I am a sinner. Down to verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. I think the the torment of, of his guilty conscience was liking the broken feet of a lamb that had wandered off. Number seven, forgiveness changes guilt to joy. Oh, you can say hallelujah to that. We'll look here at verses 8, 9, and 10. There is nothing in all the world that can remove guilt and your guilt complex then confessing to God and receiving the forgiving and the cleansing from him. With my heart cleansed, my guilt is gone. Let me say that again. With my heart cleansed, my guilt is gone. Forgiveness changes guilt to joy. The guilt is replaced by freedom and gladness and joy. In verse 9, David asked God to hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. My sin is erased, blotted out. It's deleted in the 20th century, Jared. 
by, by God, from God's memory. Verse 10. How many of you are in the 90th, in the 90s still? Me too. Okay. The word for create, this is an interesting thing here. Well, first of all, we're all desperately in need of a clean heart, a new heart. Create in me, create in me. The word for create is the same word used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word that David uses and that Moses used in Genesis 1.1 is the Hebrew word barah. And that word means created from nothing. In other words, there was nothing in David's heart or my heart that God can use. He was not asking for renovation or reformation. David was asking for something new. We find it in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Guilt and bitterness destroy our spirit. Only a heart cleansed from guilt can be renewed and filled with joy toward God and toward the people around us. Verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Number eight here. Forgiveness leads to fellowship with God. We'll look at verses 11 and 12. David acknowledged the work of the Holy Spirit. And I like how J. Vernon McGee, the great preacher, explained this verse. He said this, The Spirit of God came upon David as king that he might be God's man. By the way, says McGee, no Christian today can pray that part of the prayer. Because if you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, he will never leave you. You can grieve him, you can quench him, but you, can't, you can never grieve him away or quench him away. McGee continues, We are told, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed. For how long? Until the day of redemption. It's God's seal that can't be broken until the day he comes back for you. Oh, I love that thought. Therefore, McGee says, no child of God can lose the Spirit of God. However, the Holy Spirit can be inoperative in a Christian's life. And that is what happened to David. He is asking that the Spirit of God may continue to work in his life once again. Our unconfessed sin doesn't withdraw the Spirit's presence. It's my fellowship with the indwelling Holy Spirit that becomes hindered or obstructed by sin. The Bible calls it grieved or quenched. In Christ, we have the permanent presence with God. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When we receive Jesus as Savior and are born into the family of God, Jesus forgives us, pays for all of our sin, past, present, and future. 
Now, we are legally and permanently pronounced not guilty. We don't lose our salvation because we sin, but we certainly can lose our joy. You see, too many Christians are living on the edge. It's our unconfessed sin that robs us of joy in the Christian life. So let me ask each of us this question. It's in the back of the bulletin. Do you have too much of Jesus to be happy in this world? In other words, are you a miserable person caught in the middle? And do you have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus? Is God disciplining you? Ouch. Confession restores our joy. Finishing verse 12, David says, and uphold me by your generous spirit. That's what we have every day. The Holy Spirit supports and sustains me as I walk in fellowship with God. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Number nine. Forgiveness opens my heart and mouth to sing and share with others. We'll look at verses 13, 14, and 15. When David has been forgiven, cleansed, and refreshed by God's Spirit, he is revitalized to share God's love and God's plan to all those around him. How true it is for each of us. Our testimony comes from a clean and forgiven, grateful heart. A, jo a joyful Christian doesn't obey God out of fear or obligation. We obey him out of a grateful heart, out of gratitude. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. It is the joy of salvation that delivers me from the numbing effects of guilt. And my tongue, David says, shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Forgiveness brings joy and gladness and singing to my heart, to my voice. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praises. It was David's guilt and shame that kept his mouth from proclaiming the goodness of God. Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Number 10, forgiveness leads to true worship. We'll look at verse 16 and verse 17. Paul told the Roman church in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's how he wants us to worship. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is the sacrifice that's acceptable to God, the sacrifice the Lord desires. This is how we worship him with our daily life. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. All that God desires when we worship him is that we are broken, 
over our sin. David's confession expresses such a heart. And in, a, in response to his brokenness, God's Spirit restored to David the joy of his salvation. Verse 18. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. This is our last point. Forgiveness opens my eyes and my heart to the needs of others. Verses 18 and 19. David is praying for Zion. He's praying for Jerusalem, his people. He's praying for the nation now. After he has repented and received restoration himself, he is now able to pray for others effectively and confidently. Verse 19. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls to your altar. David not only wanted to praise the Lord, he wanted to please the Lord, but not only for himself. This was David's heartfelt desire for his people that they will be restored to truly worship the Lord as they brought their offering, their sacrifice to the temple. He says, when they offer bulls on your altar. So we've seen four, uh, perhaps five, as I kind of went over it, I'll show you in a moment here. We've seen four things about David's confession. He recognized his unworthiness and the ugly spiritual impact of his sin. But he knew that his loving God had provided the provision for, for forgiveness through the blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. So David, perhaps the fifth step here that I didn't highlight, he acknowledged and confessed his sin to the Lord. We've seen also seven things about God's forgiveness. It is all about, it, it is all that we need to be Enjoy fellowship with him. Worship team, come on up. So I just challenge you, don't wait one more minute. Seek the Lord right now, right where you're sitting. Ask the Lord to reveal any sin that is hindering your relationship with him. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gift of salvation through your shed blood. We thank you that in our vilest, ugliest, most sinful life, in those worst times that each of us has, that, Lord, you desire and love us and desire fellowship with us. And so, Lord, we come to you and just first thanking you. And then we ask that you would just open our thoughts and our hearts to recognize any sin that we haven't confessed and to offer it to you. Lord, thank you for your shed blood 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.